Presence requires practice in a culture that has profited from people being scattered. Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I am your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person on my own personal journey of self-discovery and personal growth. This is a podcast all about the journey and figuring out what makes us come alive and prioritizing whatever that is every single day. When I started the podcast over two years ago, I thought that I would get the answers externally. And the more conversations I had and the more work that I did on myself, the more I realized that every single answer and all of the truths lie within and in the silence. I know that may sound a bit overwhelming, which is why my mission is to have candid conversations with relatable humans who I feel have truly come alive and get really clear about how they've come home to themselves, as well as share my own discoveries along the way. Welcome to Active Ingredient. My biggest wish for you is that you feel alive and that you tap into your active ingredient every single day. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Active Ingredient. I could not be more proud of this episode being the first interview to kick off the year. Today's show is all about topics that I am so deeply, truly in my soul passionate about. And the guest of the show, she is one of the most present people I have ever spoken with on this podcast. She is tapped into her higher self and she's tapped into the frequency of the collective in a way that I don't know that I've ever spoken to anyone that has had that capacity before. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen. So the guest of the show this week is Carly Fain. She's an incredible and powerful speaker, coach, author, and podcast host of the Messy and Magnificent podcast, which I've actually mentioned several times on this show. If you're an active ingredient listener, you need to trust me on this. Listen to her podcast. It's called Messy and Magnificent. I'll link it out in the show notes also, but it's just absolutely incredible. Carly's energy is so honest, like it's so raw and it's so actionable also. Like so many of the times that I've listened to her on her podcast, I've implemented things into my own life. And she's just an absolutely incredible energy. And I feel so absolutely lucky and blessed that I was able to have this conversation with her. So on this episode, we get into pretty much all topics that speak to my soul. And I'm sure we'll speak to a lot of you guys, like getting quiet enough to really, really listen to your true self, being led by your intuition, what boundaries are and why we need them and how to implement them in a way that benefits all of us. And that the narrative of success coming at the cost of your own needs being met is outdated. It's absolutely not true. And it's actually counterproductive to real, long-lasting, deep success and fulfillment. So with that, welcome Carly to the show. And I also, I did want to call out that we do talk about some sensitive subjects that I wanted to give a trigger warning. We do talk about sexual abuse. So I... I really urge you to listen to this podcast. It's a portion of this and I think gives greater context to a lot of it. Yeah, I just wanted to give that little disclaimer. I really, really, really cannot wait for your guys' feedback on this. Sending you so much love and I will, let's get into it. Hey, Sophie. It's so nice to meet you. 
And you as well. I've been looking forward to this. I'm so glad we get to connect. Me too. I love your podcast. It's so good. I told you in my email, I heard about you on Farron's podcast and I was like, who's this person? I'm like, I feel like every word that you said, I was like, holy shit. Like I need to know more. And then I started listening to your podcast and I just, I feel, I'm sure you get this all the time, but I was like every week, it was like the exact thing. I was like, I need to figure out boundaries. All of a sudden there's like an episode specifically on boundaries. I feel extremely overwhelmed. I don't know how to like manage my to-do list. Literally that episode is like that. (laughs) Which is one of my questions in the, on the list that I sent you, but I was like, how do, how do you know, like exactly what I need to listen to? <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about that. Cause I do hear that a lot and I don't really know what the answer is. I have my theories, but I don't really know what the answer is, but it has something to do with just listening, but like really listening to people when we really listen, I'm talking specifically in this moment about women, but it could be about any, any human being. People will tell us exactly what they're thinking and what they crave and what they need and what they want and what they're curious about. And when I hear one woman say something and then I hear another woman say it and then I hear a third woman say it, that's when I go, oh, that's a podcast episode. Everything to me is research. Everything is. So when one woman says something and then two and then three, that becomes a social media post. When that post gets activity, I go, okay, wait, this might be a full episode, you know? And it's just always like, if we listen, Sophie, people will tell us exactly what they want and need. So listening though, for high achievers is tricky because we want to do all the things. So that, like, that sounds like, oh, that's easy. Yeah, I can listen. But it's like, oh no, like to really listen, to get quiet enough to like get our own thoughts. At least I'll speak for myself. My own thoughts are very loud. Like to get quiet enough that I can hear thoughts over my own thoughts takes a lot of practice. I couldn't yeah. agree more. I, I've said this on this podcast. I guess like, let's just keep going. Like, I'm going to ask you all the questions in whatever form they happen organically, but I find that to be so true. And I've, as I've been doing this podcast for two and a half years, the through line that I keep feeling and going back to is the answers in the silence. And that's the thing that's the hardest for us to do, but the answer mm. always lies there. And the more that we practice it, because it's really uncomfortable in the beginning, but the more that you practice it and feel comfortable in that zone, the more you'll listen, the more it'll be louder. So I think that that's super spot on. I'm curious, why do you think like when, when it happens, when it's like this woman said it, then this woman said it, then this woman said it. Do you think that there's something happening that like makes everyone think that same thing at that same time? Ooh, I love that. Cause that's just a matter of like personal opinion, right? Like my belief is yes. (laughs) Cause I've seen this my whole life. Like when I used to hear that, do you hear that? God, he's coming closer. Barely, but I don't have full spectrum of hearing, so I'm not the best person to ask because it's possible it's there and I wouldn't. And I wouldn't. It just stopped. And I also want to hear more about what what do you mean you don't have full spectrum hearing? I don't hear all the sounds that most people hear. In fact, it's funny. I was just at my audiologist last week and finally going to get double hearing aids. I've gone my whole life without them. And I'm like, why am I skimping on myself? I'm so acclimated to this. And Sophie, I think this is part of the listening thing. Like, I think this is part of why like it's part of adapting to not having all of my hearing since I was a little kid. Like it doesn't, it's not gotten worse. It's just, I've never had it. Learning different ways to hear people. Like if I'm not going to get to hear their words, then I'm going to have to figure out through context what this person is saying. So it's required more patience and more presence because I might not hear every word, but I can get a sense of what people are saying through all these years of practice, right? Regardless of what their words are, which really comes in handy as a coach. Because sometimes we say something, but we mean something slightly different. And so that inability to hear normal language, I think has helped me hear what folks are really saying. 
you know, outside the realm of, of language and all the other ways that we communicate information with our body language, with our energy level, with our facial expressions, with our tone, all that. It's helped with presence. It's helped me. Like, this is the funny conversation I'm having with my audiologist. And they're like, it's going to be so great. You're going to hear sounds you've never heard before. And that I'm excited about. But I also feel like it's, it's not been a terrible thing for me in that I've, I've gotten to learn how to hear in other ways, which is only useful. That is <laughs> which is only incredible. useful. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see how that would help you in your practice. I think that like so many times, even if you're just listening to words or if like there's not a video component, you miss a huge part of it. Like I can tell you one thing, but like you can easily pick up that I, my true self is not in alignment with the words that came out of my mouth. Like you say, if you say, Hey, how are you? Sophie? And you go, I'm great. <laughs> like your head drops down. Totally. I'm like, so tell me more about that. Like, tell me more or vice versa. You know, when somebody's yeah. really excited and they're like, I don't know why I'm so happy, but I'm so happy about this thing. Yeah. That's valuable information too. Like, tell me more. Right. Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to that question though, on when it feels like you're hearing the same thing at a, at a, uh, a certain period of time. What is that? Like, why is that the case? And I, I feel it too energetically. It's there. Like when you're hearing the, the woman say the same things over the course of like a week and you're like, damn, this is a post or a podcast episode. Why do you think that we're all tapped into that frequency of whatever that thought or experience is? That's a great question. You know, when I used to work in physical therapy is when I started to first notice it, where I'd get one patient who had maybe whiplash. All of a sudden, I'd have three patients that week with whiplash. And the next week, there'd be five patients with whiplash. And it'd be like, okay, I'm going to have to learn a lot about this thing in order to help them and serve them. And then three weeks later, it'd be everybody would have a hip replacement. And then a month after that, everybody's got low back pain. And it's like, what is this? Like, what is this thing where I am being asked to learn and go deeper into a subject. I'm just going to start to pay attention to that, right? And I am not <laughs> I am not the most original person. Like I always wanted to be super original and like totally different and and what I've come to find is that I'm a really good weaver as in weaving stories and messages. So when people when the same thing keeps showing up, I just learn to pay attention like okay, what is it about? Like why are so many women telling me they're feeling resentful? What is that about? Like, let me ask some questions about that, you know? And if you ask people questions from an honest, earnest, I mean, I think of you, the whole point of this podcast is your, your deep curiosity, right? If we're genuinely curious, most people want to tell us more. Like, well, tell me more about why you're resentful. You know, oh, you're resentful because you're tired. Got it. You know, and seven women, they tell me, yeah, I think I'm resentful because I haven't had good sleep in a while, right? Like there's a theme that's emerging. And if we follow the theme, it'll take us places. It requires a little surrender because sometimes it's not my agenda. Like I didn't plan to open a boundary academy. That was not freaking on my list of things to do, right? Totally. But it was like, let's just keep following. This thing is trying to take us somewhere. Can I have the curiosity to just see where it's going, right? To do exactly what you're doing beautifully. Can I just see what is this thing about? I love it. I love it. I love it. That is a beautiful segue to how I typically start this this show, which is kind of getting a background understanding of what you were like as a kid. And I know that this is like a very like therapy type question, but I'm really, really curious on all of my guests on what they remember of themselves as like what they were like as children, because I also have found in two and a half years of doing this show that a lot of the times that people are living in their truth or in alignment or have followed that curiosity a lot of the qualities that they had when they were like this bright, amazing child are in their personalities today. And I think that like that middle part is just 
coming home back to your childlike self, essentially. So I'm curious what you were, what you were like as a kid. I mean, I think other people would describe me as sweet and a total weirdo. Like I was always like doing something a little off the beaten path, a little, a little strange. All my, you know, like my sisters would play like wedding and dress up and I was playing business, you know, and I'd set up like TV stands, like TV dinner stands at my grandma's house on her shag carpet. And I put items out for sale and I'd want to play like cash register and business and tally it up and change the price point and do that whole thing. I think those are some of my really sweet qualities. Some of my, as an adult now, I recognize that I had a lot of protective instinct in me as a child for other people. So I was very protective of my sisters. I was really protective of my parents. I was shielding information from them. I was like, as a little kid, five, six, seven, eight years old, like when something felt big or painful, I would protect my family from that. And I think that's really interesting now as an adult, like I have this deep sense of compassion and wanting to support people and make sure that they feel safe in the world. I remember always wanting other people to feel safe in the world. Only now as an adult, am I beginning to include myself on that list of people that I'd like to feel safe in the world. But yeah, it was always about business and I want people to feel safe in the world. And I've never put those two things together until this moment, Sophie, that like, yeah, that's pretty much basically all I'm still doing. Like, not on a shag carpet anymore, but like. But is that not the craziest thing? I'm curious why, if you feel comfortable, like why did you feel the need to protect your family, your siblings and other people? That's such a good question. So I've got two, two thoughts on that. One of my earliest memories was being in preschool. And I went to school in Neptune, New Jersey, which was an area really like, you know, in the poverty line. And there was a little girl who would come to preschool with her clothes were really dirty. Her face was dirty. Her hair wasn't kept. And the other kids would make fun of her. And as little kids, all they saw was like, oh, she's dirty. And they would poke fun at her. And as an adult, we can look at and go, okay, something was going on there, right? Like her needs weren't being met. There's a little kid. I remember thinking, I want her to feel safe with me. Like, I want her to feel like she can talk to me and know that I'm not gonna, gonna make fun of her. So that was like preschool. Right. And as I grew up, I ended up being sexually abused for years as a, as a neighbor, as a little kid. So like a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old. And my biggest fear was my family finding out and being scared or upset. My parents thinking that they were bad parents or my sisters being victims too. So like as a little kid, there was already this sense of you need to watch out for other people. There was some misunderstanding that other people couldn't handle what I could handle. Like that was the assumption that I already was playing on. Like my parents wouldn't be able to handle this, but like I could at seven, right? Like that in my mind as a little kid, it was, I don't know if they could handle this. So I'll protect them from knowing that this is happening, right? And I don't know if part of that is nature or nurture, you know, is this learned behavior? Did I just assume that nobody would, support me or, or have my back or what, but it's that particular experience. It's interesting as I work with all of these high achievers now, I mean, just the rates of women being abused is really high in general and and for all humans too, Mm -hmm. but there are so often a story of, I learned from a young age that if I wanted something done, I was going to have to do it myself. And it doesn't always come from a place of like, so yay, I did it. It's often comes from a learned place of nobody was going to help me. Like nobody was going to help me. And so now I've got this great career or I run this company or I've had these wonderful milestones that I'm proud of, but I'm exhausted and I'm still terrified to slow down, lean back or delegate because the back of my brain is this belief that nobody's going to help me, that nobody's going to understand me. 
And so like, these are the patterns, right? That I've seen show up for myself. And then of course, because they've shown up for myself, I'm more primed maybe to notice them and other people. But it is so incredibly common in the people that I work with that at some point, even though now they've got all this success on paper, they can have this sense of, I'm so tired, or I know I want to do things different, or I feel a little stuck. Everything looks great on paper. But if I slow down, is it all going to fall apart? If I slow down, is anybody going to help me pick up the pieces if there are pieces? Like what's going to happen? Because that wasn't a learned experience that it was okay to ask for help or that people would be there if we dared to ask for help. So now what? What does that look like? Wow. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that. I've never heard you say that story. I don't know if you've said it on your podcast. If I, if you'd had, I hadn't heard that episode. And I, I really appreciate you opening up like that. I'm also really curious, how did you get to the point of knowing that you needed to do that back work to like unlearn that belief that it was all on you? Was there a point in like your adulthood that you were like, okay, this isn't working anymore. I have to look at myself in the mirror and figure out where this is coming from. I wish I could say I was like that clear about it. Like I wish there was a moment where it's like, oh, you know, like I did enough therapy and then I, and then I got it. You know where I, I think I started to recognize it and the way I'm able to speak about it like so clearly, you know, now is um, just being around so many other people with similar experiences. Each of our experiences is entirely unique and is entirely our own and has its own nuances and levels of intensity or not. But if you talk to enough people, you'll recognize that there are patterns that a lot of us have experienced. And so I am very clear that I'm not self-made. Like I am made in community. There have been so many people that have opened doors for me, like literally just one time opened the door or have been ongoing champions in my life and vice versa. And so community with other good-hearted people who are as genuinely curious as you are, who will listen without judgment has helped me realize that, oh, it's easy to see sometimes that somebody else needs to do. Like, oh, what's really getting in the way of this person's business or launching their new product is the fear of being seen because when they were a child and they were seen, that was dangerous, right? Or this one time in their life, it was dangerous when they were seen. They wish that they hadn't been seen. It's easy sometimes to see that in another person. And so working with my clients and hearing this again and again made me go, oh, wait a minute, Carly. Like, hold on. In my mind, my story is no big deal. But because it's all I've known, right? But the truth is, it's not about whether it's a big deal or it's not a big deal. It's just that it has influenced my experience. And so it wasn't until I had to slow down. There were times where, you know, I didn't, I didn't decide to slow down. Like circumstances happened that slowed me down. And in those moments, the business didn't fall apart. The business actually did really well. And that's what made me start to pay attention was, oh, this belief that I have to hustle all the time, it did open doors, Sophie. It did start something, but that hustle mentality is exactly what causes most entrepreneurs or otherwise driven folks to plateau at some point. Okay. That is incredibly valuable. And I'm curious with all the people that you're working with right now, do you think that it has to go from the person experiencing that themselves, like to get to a point to then figure it out themselves, or can they like proactively not go there? Oh like, gosh, please pro- proactively not go there. Yeah, <laughs> you can absolutely proactively not go there. Because you're saying it took, for you, it took like, it took stopping that was like externally forced to stop, right? And so like, that is like your aha moment being like, oh wait, my business actually is fine. Do you think that with high achievers that like, they think that they got there because of that, but they actually got there in spite of like those things that they were doing and they got lucky to get to the point that they are, but they actually missed out on a huge opportunity to have done it like 10X or 20X or whatever, but it's like, how do you catch someone when they're, when they haven't gotten to that point where externally it's like making you slow down? 
What are the tools that you can help someone that's currently on that path to being forced to slow down? What a beautiful question. Because if we can spare anybody from having to learn the hard way, like let's do that. Some of us need to touch the fire to know it's hot, Sophie. And some of us can watch somebody else touch fire and go, oh, okay, that looks hot. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. So if you have any listeners who can watch somebody else touch fire like I did and go, oh, okay, I'm going to skip that. Great, (laughs) right? It's also okay if you need to touch the fire. But my friendly heads up will be that will happen. Like the fire will come to you. You can be prepared early on to recognize the signs of when it's getting hot or it'll just get really hot. Either way, it's okay. I call it the sacred interruption. We will have a sacred interruption. There will be something that interrupts the path of hustle. We're not made to hustle for our entire lives. And so we can either recognize the the escalation of the hustle and begin to make some small shifts or it'll get big enough that like, you know, then we have to really pause. And when I say big enough, that could mean anything that could prevent us from work, getting sick, getting injured, everybody quitting, a big change in relationship status, anything that might really, you know, distract you from the work. So I think the key here is it's two parts, right? The, some of the symptoms that I see on a regular basis that might be helpful that are kind of signs that like, oh, it might be time to consider, you know, another way are snapping. So you're snapping at your friends and your loved ones and your coworkers, and you feel terrible about that because that's not who you are. You're a good person. Mm -hmm. So when we're snapping, the other one is resentment. I mean, I've already mentioned that because it's so common. It's the sense of starting to resent the people or the projects that you used to maybe really even enjoy, or you still love. And it's like, what's going on? Why am I dreading this thing I said I would do? I normally love it. The other thing are the perplexing health symptoms. And I'm yet to meet a person who doesn't have perplexing health symptoms when it's time to begin to dial back from the hustle. And the perplexing health symptoms often are headaches or migraines or digestive issues, things you used to be able to pop an aspirin for, and that's just not cutting it anymore. Sometimes they escalate. I've had clients have much bigger diagnoses, right? But oftentimes it's those, it's those kind of things. And then if I had to say the last one, it would be being tempted to lie. Like this temptation to like not quite tell the whole truth so that you can get out of something or so you don't have to call somebody or so that you can explain the behavior you did. And again, it's just feeling really bad about it because you love authenticity and you love honesty. And I'm like, why am I not feeling fully authentic here? And so it's this craving of authenticity. Craving authenticity is a great indicator that it's time to stop hustling. So like if any of those things are cropping up, they're not signs that you're terrible or that you're doing everything wrong. Those are the invitation to come home to yourself. Like that's just what it looks like. It doesn't feel great, but it's like, oh, okay, I'm snapping or I'm resentful or I'm getting perplexing health stuff or I'm tempted to lie all the time or I feel alone even though I'm around people all the time. So like what's going on there? That's what the invitation to consider that you're being called to up level to the next level, that perhaps the hustle has opened doors for you and it served you well. So be thankful that you, that you showed up and you had that gumption, right? And now you're ready for the next level. This is what the invitation up. You said that so beautifully. I was talking to McGuire, my partner about this, that like you can only use brute force up until a certain point when you have like used everything that you possibly can in your brute force to get you to a certain level. It's like, okay, like let's say that this, I mean, people are listening to us so they can't see, but let's say that like this is the spectrum and brute force got you here. Yeah. From here to here, you're coming from a different guttural place. This is external validation. This is like like something, I mean, I also think it's divine intervention that gets you to even do that brute force originally. But then from here to here, it's coming from a different place. And I think that this yeah. is, you meet people here when they're ready to go here. <laughs> exactly, like right in the middle. 
You know what the difference I think you're describing there is it takes a certain energy to attain something and it takes a different energy to sustain it. And we need to begin to discern the moment of like, okay, I've attained this thing. I've attained this job or I've attained this degree or I've started to fulfill this project that I've been really passionate about. Now, what is it going to take for me to sustain it? Because that's different. Like this is now we're talking long haul, even if long haul is three weeks or three months or three years or 30 years, like what nourishment do I need in order to show up for this thing that now is beginning to have a life of its own? And that's very different than the nourishment needed to like get it up the hill in the first place. Totally. What, yeah. what advice would you give to someone who's in that transition period? Because I think that there's a lot of fear that boils up at that point when you think the reason I got here was because of all the hustle, because of all like the brute force or because of all of like the saying yes to things that maybe didn't even feel in alignment, but they got me here. So then a lot mm-hmm. of the fear boils up of like, okay, well, if I'm actually at this place where I'm about to expand or explode and I stop doing the things that got me here, what's going to happen? What's the answer to that question? Oh, I love what you just said. <laughs> the place of I'm writing it down, expanding or exploding, right? <laughs> like that's the moment, right? It's going to change and it's going to feel uncomfortable because we get comfortable with the dysfunction of doing too much. We have normalized, like our expectation for what the appropriate amount of work to do is broken culturally. So high achievers, our bar for how much we can get done in a day, a week, a year is broken. We've set it far higher than is reasonable. And so it's going to take perhaps a little bit of discomfort of sitting with like, okay, wait a minute. What if I don't answer phone calls at midnight anymore? What if I don't skip breakfast anymore, you know, in order to do a few more emails, like what's going to happen. And so I want to give a little, like, I want to give tenderness to people who find themselves in that spot of, okay, I feel like I'm going to expand or explode (laughs) to use your phrase. (laughs) So what's going to help me follow through on this goal of sustaining this dream or vision, right? And we're going to go there. Like, who do I know that I've seen sustain something beautifully? Like time for me to schedule coffee with them. Or is there a podcast I can listen to or an author? Like if you don't know the person yet that's working in a a more balanced way, there are lots of resources out there. Like how can I go there and explore what else might also be true? Like hustle is one way. There are also other ways, right? And so it's just beginning to ask the question, okay, I'm hearing this belief that the only way to run this company or fulfill on this goal or dream is to work myself into the ground. Noted. Cool. What else could be true here? wouldn't it be cool if dot, 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 (laughs) wouldn't it be cool if I could sleep enough at night and still do this thing? What would need to happen? And so we get into the questions before we get answers. We go deep into the questions. What would need to happen for me to sleep more at night? What would be the cost of that? Like, would I miss out on things? What do I miss out on if I don't sleep at night? And we just begin to sit with the questions a little bit. It's a little bit of liminal space between what was and what you're becoming, right? And that can be uncomfortable culturally. So surrounding yourself with other folks who have made that switch, who can normalize the experience makes a world of difference. I'm finding that I'm in this zone right now. And I, I have like a friend here, a friend there, like they're kind of like sporadic. I was literally talking to my therapist about this this morning. I'm like, I just crave that feeling all the time. And there are certain people that I feel that with, but for the most part, like the people that are like historically in my life, I don't get that exact feeling around them and I don't want to not have them in my life either. So how do you, how do you find that? Oh, that's such a good question, right? Because this isn't the conversation to have with everybody because not everybody will understand it, right? Not everybody will get it. They'll not fully appreciate. And so you're so right about being like intentional about who am I going to have this conversation about wanting to be more balanced or being in a sustaining phase with somebody. I mean, I can give you a couple ideas of, of just humans that have been really helpful for me, right? 
I think of teachers like Susie Banks-Baum and Maria Sirwa. I think of Ariana Huffington and Sonia Renee Taylor. These are folks we can Google and begin to watch their work. If you're on Instagram, like follow the NAP ministry, who's created an entire social activism movement about Black women resting. Begin to look for the narrative on rest because it is there. It's just not loud because us well-rested folks, we're happy and good and we're, and we're living our lives. So like, we're not as loud about it. So the narrative is there. Begin to look for articles. I mean, Kate Northrup just published an article in Forbes this month about working in the cycles and rhythms of your body. Like it's there. And once you find one person, commit to following their work for a little bit. Google them. Listen to their podcast. See if they've got a book. Like see where they're out. Reach out and talk to them. I mean, you, you sent me an email out of the blue, right? And like, here we are getting to have this sweet conversation. Totally. So we don't wait for Russ to come to us in a country or a culture that runs on Duncan. We can't cross our fingers and hope for rest. Rest is something that it only takes one thing. Like it's not like these women or these humans that rest more are super smart or are super confident about it. They're not. They just decide to have a soft focus on it for a little bit. They just begin to dabble in sustaining like what's required there, you know, and they begin to play with it. So you don't quit your job all of a sudden and like decide to sleep 10 hours a night. We just start to play with 3% more nourishment. Like what would 3% more nourishment look like today? Maybe it's one glass of water. Maybe it's calling one friend that you love and not calling the one that always has drama. What would that be like? You know, what does 3% more nourishment look like? And then following the folks who have dabbled in that successfully enough to have evidence and ideas to offer. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think like the evidence thing for high achievers is also a really important piece to it. <laughs> I think the more, the more of us that can like showcase that, like, no, it actually yields more results. Like for those people that need numbers, like it actually does yield more results plus happiness. So like, <laughs> let's all like show that because it's possible. And the old belief system may have been in place for a reason back then, but it does not need to exist anymore. I think boundaries is something I really want to get into with you because I think it coexists with this conversation in general, because as you start to like know what you need to nourish yourself, that also means that you have to say no and, or just like stop certain other things from happening. How did you identify this for yourself? And I'm like a newly boundary gal. So like a lot of, <laughs> I've used boundaries like on in certain occasions and they worked out beautifully and I'm excited to use them more, but there was like a little twang of guilt. And like, I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad. Like, are they going to hate me for that? Or like, are they going to be like, oh my God, here goes Sophie with like her woo woo stuff. You know, like, what do you say to someone that's like in an early boundary phase? Oh, I love, oh God, I love this question so much. So there's an old story about a village that had a big river running through it. And folks would notice on the edge of the riverbank that there were a certain amount of people that were falling in the water. And so they set up this like lifeguard system and people to rescue folks who were drowning in the water. And they were really proud of that. And they invested a lot of time and resources and energy into rescuing as many people as they could. And they couldn't save everybody, but they saved as many as they could. It was a beautiful thing. And one day, woman was coming to visit the village. She was new and they were showing around and they were showing her you know, this great lifeguard system that they had. And she said, that's beautiful. I love that you're looking out for people. But has anybody gone to the head of the river and figured out who's throwing people in in the first place? Like what's going on there? And in all my 15 years or however long, maybe a little longer than that of coaching, boundaries are always the head of the river. The lack of boundary, like there's no wall, like lining the river to protect us. If there's no boundary, we fall in. 
And the symptoms of struggling, of being underwater, like when we feel like we're underwater, we feel like no matter how much I do, there's more to do. No matter how much I do, nobody fully appreciates me. I feel secretly behind, even though everybody else celebrates me for what a good job I'm doing. I know I'm capable of more, but like, why can't I get to that? Those are all symptoms that it's time to have a boundary conversation. That's, that's all that is, right? If we want to have more time, if we want to be able to think about our goals, our relationships, our health, our business, whatever it is, differently in terms of how we sustain it, how we thrive, then boundaries are going to be a required conversation. If there was one thing I wish somebody told me a whole lot sooner, it's that boundaries are not something that we set with other people. There's a lot of misconception around that. Boundaries are between us and us. Boundaries are the bridge between ourselves and what we value, period. Sometimes we might articulate that out to other people in hopes that they walk the bridge with us or they take a different path. So the quickest way to feel like, oh my gosh, I can never set a boundary is to spend our energy thinking about the external response to the boundary. It's about us. Am I willing to honor what I know to be true or what I know I need in this moment? And I just want to put out there that for any human being that has felt that they had to be somebody different in order to be safe or to be accepted, that this is going to touch on some core stuff. It's not about like for many women or for other people who have been marginalized either themselves in their lifetime or they've watched the people before them be marginalized. You can think about the epigenetics too of how trauma is carried intergenerationally. You know, to set a boundary, to be the first one to say, hey, you put milk in my latte and I'm allergic to milk. Can you change that? Like women be terrified to do that. Wonder like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I even like tell the barista they accidentally messed up the order? And it's not about that one boundary. This is about reclaiming who you are. Perhaps the first person in your circle or in your family or in your company or in your entire you know area that has ever done that before. And so the first part of boundaries is like, what do I honor? Like, what do I value? What do I want to champion in the world? And then what you know, barriers or gentle, flexible bridges might I put around that, you know, in order to protect it. Barriers is really the wrong word because we find that effective boundaries are not usually walls. Occasionally we need a wall with an unreasonable or dangerous circumstance, but mostly we need bridges, right? Bridge meaning we are articulating what is true with the intention that two people could get back on the same page because then I'll stop talking, Sophie. But by the time, by the time we... The time we know, by the time we know we need a boundary, it's because a wall is already there. We're already operating with two different sets of expectations. So the, the boundary isn't about making walls with people. It's not about armoring up with people. The boundary is about extending a bridge back to what it is we value and then maybe articulating that. So for example, if, I don't know, let's say your clients were calling you at 10 o'clock at night and expecting you to work and you're not, and you're not a night owl and so that doesn't really work for you there's already a wall between the two of you. They're expecting work at 10 p.m. and you're expecting that you should be working earlier. And so the boundary, if you were to articulate one, right, is the bridge to say, hey, I love working with you so much. I want to make sure I give you the best product possible. I do that in the morning. So just know you're welcome to email me at night. I'll respond in the morning when I'm really fresh and can give you good, good work. So it's just, here's what I value. I value you and I value really good work. This is how I'm going to do that. This is me creating a boundary about when I check my email so that I make sure that I live into the things that I really care about. Does that make sense? As opposed to don't you email me at 10 o'clock at night? Totally. Totally. And then I think like a piggyback question off of this, that like when you're talking about like intergenerational things and just like the way that women have functioned in history, a lot, like what came up for me is, I think it goes hand in hand with 
feeling that you deserve that or like feeling of enoughness and deservingness. How do you work on that? Like, I feel like that's like a huge question, but I think that it goes like you deserve to honor yourself or like you deserve to put that boundary in your, in your marriage or in your relationship with your children or with your client. Like how, how does one go about like first steps on really owning that? Yeah. Great question. I love how you make things really like practical and doable, right? Cause it's one thing to talk about them. <laughs> Another thing to know, like, okay, I've talked about it. What do I do with that? Right. So research has shown that there's only one thing that improves our confidence and it has two components to it. So the two things that improve our confidence is self-worth and self-efficacy. So self-worth is what you're talking about. It's the ability to recognize that like I have value, at least equal amount of value as anybody else in this room, right? Not about more, but it's not about less. I have equal value as everybody else in this space. Got it. Self-efficacy is the one that we've seen bolster confidence. Self-efficacy is seeing ourselves do the thing we want to do. So we don't get brave and then do something. It's the doing of something that gives us the courage. So if we want to begin to practice like boundaries a little bit, if we want to see our self-worth, we have to see ourselves do the thing we want to do. If you want to feel self-worth, you have to see yourself do the thing you want to do. Now, I'm not like a Tony Robbins, like, rah, rah, go all in and like change everything. Like, like that philosophy works really well for some people. I'm a way like, hey, let's do this gently. What's like the simple transition, right? So like, let's go back to that 3% idea of, okay, you want to know your self-worth? Treat yourself with 3% more respect today. What would that look like? Like maybe you don't respond to an angry text or maybe you don't stay up till midnight. You stay up till 11.55 instead. Right? And then the next night, 11.50. To see ourselves do the thing we really wish we were doing is the only thing that has been proven to, to boost our confidence. So I love like affirmations and I love people giving each other positive uprides. Like that all helps, but none of that from a data point of view has been shown to actually create lasting confidence or self-worth. We have to begin to do the thing we really want to be doing. And we can do it in small ways. And then it, you know, then we get a little courage which gives us a nudge to the next bit, to the next bit, to the next bit. So it's steps, it's gentle. I'm curious on your perspective on continuing this like growth, which I find to be like the coolest thing about life is that you like, you get to a point and then all of a sudden you're like ready to go to the next one. And that's like, to me, the coolest, sickest thing about being on earth. But I do find, at least in my experience, and I, I just read um, Gay Hendricks book, The Big Leap, about the upper limit <sighs> problem. Oh gosh, the upper and limit problem. Yes. Uh, hoping the, the upper limit problem. I'm obsessed with that. And I think it's so yeah. true. And I, I think it's something that I, if anyone listens to Active Ingredient, they're definitely on some sort of path for sure. And they probably can relate to this, but it's like when you up level, there's like that feeling. And I kind of touched on it on like it being like, a, I, I would say like a little lonely, like you feel like, okay, I'm at this place. And a lot of the people in my life, like may not or see eye to eye with me here. How do you like level set yourself? Like as you, Carly, have continued to like grow on your own path, how do you check in with yourself and like get yourself comfortable in this new zone? I find that to be like a a part that doesn't get talked about enough because it's like, yeah, you, you get this amazing like surge and you get to that point. And then how do you like level set yourself there to then get comfortable to then get to the next one? Such a good question. I've never thought about it in that way before. My experience of going up a level, like when it's significant, when I really notice it, whether it's like up a level in income or up a level in a client or up a level, you know, companies growing, whatever it is, 
is that I go through a grieving process and I could never understand that. I'd be like, this is such great news. Why am I sad? Like, what's going on here? I'm thrilled to have landed this client. Like, what's my issue, right? When we go up a level, Sophie, we leave who we were on some level. And so the aloneness that we feel might be interrelational and that like, okay, maybe other people don't fully understand where I'm at now. Like if I just started a company and none of my friends or family have ever started a company. So now I can't talk to them about that. They're not going to relate. They're not going to get it. Right. One thing I have found to be incredibly valuable is to honor in ourselves that we have let part of ourselves go. And there is something to grieve. I am no longer the person that I was. And even though I'm excited to be this new person, part of me also needs to recognize that I'm not the one who didn't have a business who was really scared all the time. Now I'm the one who has a business and is scared all the time, right? <laughs> or, what, or whatever it is, right? So totally. there's, there's really something powerful to be saying is we have left a part of ourselves behind. We have shed a layer, right? Like something has peeled off. And so now we feel rather exposed in the world. It's exciting because we're bigger. We needed to lose that layer in order to grow. But now our skin is not covered and protected in the same way. And so the question I ask myself is, how do I not abandon myself now? Okay, I'm feeling alone. How do I saddle up next to myself? Like, what does that look like, right? Until I find my, my new people or my ongoing people. And with a little bit of practice, you will find other folks who shed their skin on a regular basis too and can relate. They might not relate on the exact business or goal or dream or divorce or whatever the big change is, but they will know something about shedding skin. And they will, you know, you will have trust to be able to say like, oh my God, I just had to fire somebody for the first time. And I know you've never fired anybody, but I was so scared. And they'll go, oh my gosh, I get it. Let's talk about that. We will leave part of ourselves if you're feeling that significantly, like what ritual or practice do I need in order to acknowledge that there has been a death here and that there is new life here, right? What can I appreciate about who I was and what am I excited about coming next? And how do I not leave myself in this moment where I'm otherwise feeling a little alone? Does that make sense? No. Yeah. And it really struck a chord like that. The, the self-abandonment thing, I think goes back. I, I'm, I'm in therapy right now. And it just, it, it always goes back to that. It's like, you have to go back to talking to little you and being like, yo, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> like I'm right here. Like whatever you're feeling, we're going to go through it together. That is a practice. It's like, there, I don't know if it's like societal or if it's just me or whatever, but like, I feel like my whole life, there'd been like a disconnect there. And there wasn't like this, like conversation between the self and like what was happening in my reality, you know, like there was just self-abandonment by way of being asleep to it. Now it's like you wake up a little bit and you're like, no, no, I I got you. Like, we're good. And like, as you go on that journey, like you just constantly checking in and being like, if something, you feel like a pit in your stomach or whatever, it's like asking your, your inner child or like asking yourself or however you want to phrase it. Like, what do you need right now? Like what's going on? Like, what do you need in this exact moment and give it to yourself? Because that's, you're going to be with you on that journey forever. You know? So beautifully said. So beautifully said. I'm going to be with myself on this journey forever. Like there's an affirmation or something to remind like ourselves. Yeah. I'm right here with you. Like we hey, got fear. Th- I feel you. I'm right here with you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about the Boundary Academy. Like talk to me about how you got to creating this incredible platform. What, what would you call it? Like a, a coaching session? Is it one-to-many or is it one-to-one or how does, how does it work? So it's a group program for all the reasons that, that we've been just discussing. So as I was practicing, you know, working with all these clients around their boundaries, 
And it didn't matter if they were somebody who was just thinking about starting a business for the first time, or it's like one of my clients who's won a bunch of Grammys, and now they're wondering how are they supposed to win another Grammy when everyone's looking at them, now they're panicked, right? Like it didn't matter what the spectrum was in terms of how grand their goals or dreams were on paper. It always came back to boundaries. And what we found was like, Sophie, if we could just like read a book on boundaries or listen to a podcast on boundaries and get it, like we would have all done that by now. Like it turns out that it takes two things in order to make boundaries our new native language. It takes the information, but it also takes the community. And so after working with people one-on-one for years, and then we did years of research, you know, around boundaries, um, worked with thousands of women about it, we realized like we need community. Just like you would want to learn another language. Let's say you were going to learn Hebrew or Spanish or Swahili. Like you've got to be another people that speak it or else we begin to forget it. And so we created a community. So the Academy is, it's a four week program where people get to jumpstart their boundaries. We teach them the systems for how to make boundaries stick. Then you stay in the community for at least six months or longer if you want. And you get to ask questions and you get to be, bring your like real boundary challenges forward. And all the women in there are giving each other uplifts. Like we're learning from one another. They're sharing examples of like what's worked in their real life. This is how I told my boss that they can't talk to me like that. This is when I'm dealing with my aging parents or my kids or my best friend who texts while she drives. Like this, what, this is what worked. This is what didn't work. And so there's just collective wisdom. The entire academy is founded with this idea that it wouldn't be the Carly show. Like, what would it be like if this was a collection of wisdom? And so we have a council of boundary makers who helps me run the academy, who's there to support every woman on every call. And, and we just continue to be student learners, right? Like we're students of this process. Anybody who's talking about boundaries right now is a pioneer. We are the first generations that are getting to have this conversation in this way. So even the experts are only experts for one lifetime. We're all learning as we go. So, you know, if you're feeling like you said earlier, like I'm new to practicing boundaries, you're ahead of the curve. (laughs) Like Not everybody's been extended the opportunity to practice boundaries yet. So now's a really good time to be in this conversation. And it's no coincidence that we're seeing this everywhere. Like all of a sudden boundaries is like the buzzword. And this is another one of those like, oh, yeah, there it is. Like we're all tapped into all that of a sudden. What do you think it is about this generation that has allowed us or given us the permission to get here to open up to a boundary? I think it's been the work of the generations before us. I think about it like this: like for my mom's generation, for example, to to have any job that wasn't you know a teacher or a nurse was a really big deal. Like to get into a boardroom, which is which was not the path my mom took, right? But for the women who were the first ones to get into boardrooms or into corporate settings, to get in there, you had to pretend to be like all the other men, if not stronger, right? Like you had to be more fierce, more cunning, more solid, less emotional. Like the whole thing just to have a spot. They opened a door for us. And now we're in there and we're looking around and we're going, all right, I love this, but I want to be myself while doing this. How is that possible? And so I think we owe a debt of of gratitude to the women who walked before us. I think we're part of a long continuum of humans that have come before us. And we are the ones who are on, I keep going on this bridge analogy, like setting the path for the women or humans who are going to come after us. I think it's possible because of the doors that have been opened for us. And we're ready for something more or different or more authentic. And so we're another type of pioneer. Well, your podcast is truly 
I, I would say it's one of, if not my favorite podcasts out there, like you, I said it in the beginning, I'm going to say it again. Like you truly, and it's one of my questions actually, that's going to come off of this, like first, like just praising you sentiment, but you really have just such an incredible way of, like I said, tapping into the frequency of what's happening and being able to communicate it in a really tangible way. And my listeners know that I love like a tangible next step. And like you, you give next steps in your podcast. So anyone that listens to Active Ingredient, you have to listen to the messy and my, oh my God, the messy and magnificent podcast with Carly, because it is truly, it's so underrated. Like I feel like every time I, I talk about your podcast on my podcast all the time, by the way, I don't know if you listen to Active Ingredient, but I do. I'm like, Carly said this, like you're the one that showed me this me and universe list, by the way, oh, I do want to yeah, get yeah, into yeah. it. And I've been doing it for months now, or since you put that episode out, I've been doing it. I want to get into the me and universe list, but I don't want to forget asking this question. How do you practice being so present? Like, what are your practices? Like, how do you practice this level of like, you're on another level of presence to me? I don't know. It's like anything, right? Like you just, you, it takes practice. Like what you just said is the most important part. It takes practice and it takes devotion because my brain will tell me a million reasons why I should skip my morning practice on most mornings. Like, Oh, just skip it this one day. It'll be fine. Right. And it is okay to skip things on some days. Right. For me, it started really simple. Now it's this whole robust morning practice. I spent like an hour and a half doing all my, you know, taking a few deep breaths, like journal, I exercise and shower and make a smoothie. Like all of those to me are, I consider that part of my work day. Like, cause there is no business without my body. Right. So right. Like, that is part of the work day. But I think that presence requires practice in a culture that has profited from people being scattered. When we are scattered, when we are fragmented, when we feel like there is a home me and a friend me and a worker me and a volunteer me and a sister me, like all these different versions of ourselves, our energy gets segmented too, and we don't get to fully rise. And so we have had enough generations of a culture that has told us to be different people in different places and to be busy that now culture doesn't even have to tell us. We tell ourselves, do more, do more, do more, then you'll be enough, right? Like that's the message that plays in the back of our own brain. If I don't do enough, are people going to see me as lazy? Are they going to see me as not committed enough? Are they think I'm going to jerk? Are they going to think I'm selfish? Like these are all the thoughts that happen within our brain. And so presence takes courage and it takes a little bit of practice and it begins small. Like one small thing is like, I'm old school. I use an actual pencil, right? But like a pencil, a pen, your, your fingers on your cell phone, like whatever you want, but to, to write into the question, what do I really want to say right now? What do I really want to say right now? Like, what have I not said yet that I really want to say right now? while your coffee's brewing, like for, to do that between the time when you turn on the tea kettle and when you pour it into your glass, like that moment of presence is enough to shift everything. And I think we want it to be bigger or more complicated. We want the idea of like up-leveling to look like an eight system strategy. Like it also starts in that one to three minute mark, you know, where when the light is red or while you're on the subway or when your Zoom like fails and now you can't hear anybody like in those moments that are going to happen throughout the day, like that is the invitation back to presence. So linking it to an existing habit or an existing circumstance is a great thing to do. So, okay, I'll, I'll do this while I'm in the shower. I think of 10 things I'm grateful for, or while my tea kettle's boiling or when I'm in line at the post office or whatever it is, like, this is going to be my moment. I'm going to hear a thousand reasons why I should be doing something else. And I'm going to do this anyway. And I'm going to see what happens. 
That is excellent. And I mean, my listeners know I'm obsessed with the grateful list. I'm curious, like I, I also have like a two and a half hour, like more, like my mornings are just the most luxurious. I'm a morning girl. Like I love morning. Do you ever think that like it gets to, I'm like, am I doing like too much in the morning? Like sometimes I'm like, is this like, have I got a little overboard? Like I'm going like that right now. I'm yeah. Going that right now. I'm doing a little revision. I'm like, well, I think you're pointing onto something that's really important, which is as we evolve, our needs are going to evolve. There have been times in my life where I needed two hours in the morning. Now I'm like, yeah, this is messing with my game. Like I just need to take action. Like you're good, Carly. Like you don't need 30 minutes of journaling today. Right. But like that goes back to trust. That goes back to yeah. yourself because I think that like systems get you to a certain point. It's like the same thing that we were talking before. It's like the systems help you wake up. And then when you wake up and you trust yourself, you're able to like, say like, no, I got you. I'm not abandoning you. Like this is you actually doing what's in alignment with you now. Totally. And so, you know, it's like, okay, what makes sense now? I mean, that's my question of the last two months. And I think I'm going to carry it for the rest of the year, at least is okay. In the face of what's before me now, now what makes sense? I think one of the shortcuts to feeling stuck is to continue to live into a dream or a goal we had five years ago or five months ago. And with COVID, sometimes it's even like five days ago. Like, okay, I know this was the plan. Got it. <laughs> like in the face of what is before me now, what is true now, what makes sense? Totally. So it's to keep coming back to that. Like, okay, I knew that was the plan, but like also what now makes sense? So yeah, I think there's such beauty in what you just said. You know, sometimes we need a longer morning ritual. Sometimes we need to do it in the evening. Sometimes we need to do it alone. Sometimes we need to do it in community. Like in the face of what's before me, what actually feels like nourishment? Like what actually makes sense right now? Can I be willing to be attached to the function and not the form of it? Like the function is that I nourish myself. I don't know about expletives on your show, but like fuck the form, right? Because like the form can look different on different days. Like today I went and got decaf coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. That happens like, I don't know, twice a year today. It was like, what nourishment do you need? I was like, I need a freaking decaf coffee and not from the local sweet coffee shop. Like I just want to go through the drive-thru. Like, and it was, it brought me inappropriate levels of joy to do that. Right. So it's like, like, this is ridiculous. You know, like this is the silliest thing I could be doing. It's bringing me that much joy. I better go do it. That is not what I would consider nourishment for me on most days. Right. So it's like, can I be attached to the function of nourishment and just like be flexible with the form? It is essential. It is non-negotiable, but it's flexible. I could not agree more. The question that I've been asking myself every day is what is going to make you feel alive today? Like what's one thing that you can do today that will make you feel alive? And it's because I I listened to Brene on um, a podcast called the science of success. And she said a Howard Thurman quote that is now like, I, I had it in the intro of my last episode. And it was like, we don't need to ask what the world needs. What we need is more people who have come alive is essentially like what the quote is. And like the more people that are alive, the better everything, like the better outcome for everyone involved. And so like now my question to myself every day is just what makes you come alive? Like, is it going for a run? Is it watching Downton Abbey? Like, is it like, what is it that like actually makes me feel alive? And that's the priority of the day in whatever way or form that that like, like the form doesn't matter, but like that day being in tune with whatever it is that that need is like, get that need met, you know, there it is. There it is. And I love, I love that question because right there, it allows for malleability. I'm going to ask the question every day. The answer might be totally different. What might make me feel alive is setting a boundary. What might make me feel alive is getting more sleep. Like I love, there it is. Like that question allows for both. It allows for devotion to what you care about and flexibility about its, its arrival or its delivery. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask about the me and universe list because 
I love that list. Like I'm a Sunday schemer. Like I love a Sunday sesh of like, what's going to move the needle for me this week? Or like, what's going to feel really good. And I love, I, I want you to frame it. I've definitely said it on my podcast. I'm like, you guys have to listen to Carly's theory on this me and universe list, but I want you to say it because it really struck a chord with me and I've been practicing it for months. So Oh, I would love to talk about it. And I have to say, it didn't originate within me either. I've been doing this for a long time. I think I, think I saw Marie Folio talk about it once, but like it's an all, a lot of different cultures do it in a lot of different ways. Like it's been around for a long time. And when I first used to do it, I used to see it as kind of a spiritual practice and I, I no longer see it that way. So I just want to like leave this open to however people like interpret. Like if you're a spiritual person, great. If you're not, if you're like, I like data facts, information, <laughs> great. Like this applies to both, right? So the gist of it is we want to get clear on what it is that's in our lane and what it is that's outside of our lane that's just taking up a lot of energy. It's taking up a lot of thought. So, you know, all I do is I take a piece of paper, draw a line right down the middle. (laughs) On the one side, I put, this is my lane, as in this is my job to do these things. And on the other side, I put universe's lane, as in I need somebody else to take care of this. And I know that something falls in the my lane category when it's something I'm actually capable of doing. So like Carly, you do need to send that invoice and you do need to call so-and-so back and you need to make your doctor's appointment and you need to like do the dishes. And like, these are the things that you are capable of doing. Like you need to do these. The thing that goes on the universe list or the other, you know, to-do list are things that I want to see happen, but I actually don't have control over in the moment. So that might be things like, I need you to make my sister okay with the fact that I don't want to talk to her about all of her painful stuff every day. Like, I need you to, I can't make her okay with the fact that I need to create a boundary. Like, I need you to make her okay with that. Or I really want to move, but I have no idea where. Like, universe, I need you to like, give me some ideas. Give me some inspiration. Have somebody offer me a job in a new area. Like, whatever it is. So we begin to put the things that feel bigger than us outside of our control. We really don't even know where to start on the universe's side. And so I would use this as a manifesting tool once upon a time. I was like, all right, universe, you do this stuff. And Sophie, it totally freaking worked. Like it was amazing. It but totally works. It really does. It to- <laughs> yeah. Like, and I would start really small. I remember starting really small with, um, like I had dishes in this thing that I wasn't going to be able to get to. Like I had such a long work day and I had a whole pile of dishes and I was like, I need somebody else to do the dishes. And I wrote that down thinking, well, like, unless a leprechaun appears in my kitchen, <laughs> like that's not going to happen. Right. And so I didn't put a lot of stock in it. I was like, universe, somebody to do the dishes. Lo and behold, my girlfriend stops by to drop something off that day. And we're talking and she's like, Hey, could I put you the dishes in your sink? Like they're driving me crazy. Can I do them while I'm here? It's like, really? Like, yeah, you, yes. Like, yes. And me who would never say yes to help because it was that moment. And it was on my list was like, well, that's crazy. Like, yes, Julie, I would love, thank you, Julie. I would love for you to do right, these amazing. dishes. But I also see it now as a, as a time and energy management tool. It's just a lot more practical of rather than spinning my wheels on these things, I'm not going to be able to get to. Can I get okay with a few things just being okay while I focus on what does need my attention? And that's a really important learning step for high achievers. Like I'm going to get okay with a couple of things just being okay. Like the dishes are sitting in my sink. I'm not going to get to them today. It's like, I'm going to let myself off the hook on that one. Like Julie showing up was a miracle, but, <laughs> but like, I'm going to like let myself off the hook. And the same with everything else. It's like, these are the things I haven't figured out yet that I need help for. I'm still paying attention to them. I'm not ignoring them, but I'm no longer focusing the bulk of my energy there. So good. So good. So good. So good. So good. Okay. I have to ask, what is something that makes you come alive, which is what I call your active ingredient. Like what is the thing that like really just makes you feel the most true in alignment and alive? 
presence. It's definitely presence. It's like being right in the moment. I'm usually pretty, even if the moment's a shitty moment, I'm usually pretty okay as long as I'm right there with it. Like I'm like, all right, this thing stinks. I'm feeling how much it stinks, right? Like I'm right there with it. One of the ways that presence shows up for me right now is with my toddler nephews. So like, you know, A, when you're with a toddler, it's hard to do anything other than be with them because they, at least my nephews require a lot of attention and a good eye, right, on what they're up to. So like, I can't multitask a lot anyway because it's like just keeping them alive is the full-time gig. But there's something about a child's unabashed willingness to play and be right there with you. Like they're right there too, most kids. And so presence with little ones for me, is such a shortcut to like remembering that, like all the things we're making up about what we wish we had done and what we haven't done yet. Like they're not doing that yet. They're right there. Like if they're coloring, they're coloring full on. If they're being a pretend dinosaur, like they're a full on T-Rex. Like they're not debating how they should sound and how they should look. And so for me, that's an avenue back to presence really quick. It's like being with young people who haven't picked up the cultural habit of external validation yet. I need to look a certain way. I need to think about the future. I'm just being a dinosaur right now. Yeah, you know, or now we're just cuddling or we're just eating a chicken finger, like whatever it is, like we are doing that thing fully. Um, and that's when I feel alive, doing one thing fully. This makes me really excited to have kids. <laughs> I'm like, I, <laughs> I want to feel that with them so much. But I also, by the time that I have kids, I also want to be able to tap into that energy without them, you know? Yeah. I think that was, I don't think I realized it. Like, that's why I was a babysitter and a nanny growing up. I didn't realize that like, that's why I loved it. It was like, I was learning something. I was learning about presence. Like I love these kids. I love the way they are like, Oh, it's right. So to have learned it and now be able to apply it, you know, when I'm not with them. And I do that. Sophie, I'll go like, what would Elijah do right now? My four-year-old nephew. Like, what would he do right now? Like, I'm going to go do that. Like, I think that's what he would do. Right. Like I tap into what they already know. We were born like them. You were born like that. We then learn to alter who we are in order to be loved or accepted or safe. And so it's just an unlearning process. It's just going back home to ourselves, right? How do I unlearn some stuff that well-meaning folks taught me to do, you know, when our parents said, no, you can't eat now, even though you're hungry. And we learn to not trust when our body tells us that we're hungry or no, you need to finish what's on your plate, even when we're full. And so we learn to circumvent the information our body's telling us. Like all these things that well-meaning folks have taught us as ways to forget what we know to be true or ignore what feels right. Um, we've got to unlearn some of that and we can, and we can do it. It just takes all practice. I have goosebumps all over my body. I could not agree more. That's literally why I asked that first question because it is coming home to that little child. That's like literally the whole point. I feel like I need to have you back on like five more episodes, like, or more. Like I just, this was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Is there anything else that you want to give our, our listeners, our seekers? Some of them might be a little lost. Honestly, when I started this podcast, I was feeling extremely lost, which is why it started and it's evolved throughout my, my journey. So for maybe someone that's listening that could be in like a, in like a lost period or they're on a journey and like, they just are having all the feels like what advice or what like parting wisdom would you want to give them? There was a woman in the boundary Academy last week. She's a new student. She just finished the first month of modules. And she said, you know, whenever boundaries used to get really scary for me, I get scared really easily. I would just hide and I wouldn't tell anybody about it. I just want to pull the covers over my head and I would ignore it. And she goes, where I used to hide, I now seek connection. And that's what's different. That's why this is working. She's like, where I used to hide, I now see connection. And so if you're listening and you're feeling lost or unsure, like A, 
welcome to being human. Everyone feels lost and unsure. Like that's just part of it. I feel like there's always some area where we're like, I have no idea what I'm doing there. Totally. Um, the folks who don't feel any sense of being lost or unsure are the ones I don't trust. Cause I'm like, what's going on there that you think you've mastered at all? Like something's weird, right? So like, A, welcome to being human. You're not alone. But the B is to seek out connection. Where, where can I connect? Where is it safe for me to connect? And sometimes it is like just to keep listening to a podcast, right? Or keep, you know, reading the book you love. If anybody wants to come to my website, carlyfain.com, you can watch for free the Boundary Brunch. There's nothing for sale in there. It's just a, a simple course on how to begin the conversation of boundaries, which is a sweet thing if you're interested in that. But but the, but that just keeps coming back to like, how can I choose connection over trying to do this alone? What a beautiful note to end on. You guys have to listen to her podcast. I'm obviously going to link it out in the show notes and check out Carly, check out her Instagram, check out everything that everything that you say and do is just like, I'm so impressed. And I'm just so like every time impressed at how it's like exactly what I need to hear or listen to. Yeah. I felt very called to reach out to you and have you on this podcast. I don't know. It was like something like I had to. You are such a gift and know that that's an incredibly mutual feeling and count me back for more episodes and anything else I can do to support you and your your curiosity, like that curiosity will take you places big time. It already is. I mean, it already is taking you glorious places. So you've got a new fan in me over here, big time. Oh my God. Okay. Well, if you're ever in New York, let me know. Let's do something. This was amazing. (laughs) Done, done, (laughs) done. Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of the episode. You have no idea how much it means to me. And I really do hope that you left this conversation feeling lighter, more in tune, and with some tools to apply to your own life. Please feel free to reach out to me via DM on Instagram. I would absolutely love that, which I have linked in the show notes on any feedback or guests that you want to have on. And if you do have a second, I would really appreciate you giving the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and a quick review. It really helps getting the podcast in front of more people like you. See you next week.